What's going on, guys? This is John Papaloni. We're with the John Papaloni Show. Today, I've got a special guest, Dr. Troy Hall, who is an author, radio host, global speaker, talent retention strategist, and consultant. He was featured on the Today Show, ABC, Beyond the Business, Radio Show, and CEO World. Dr. Troy Hall is an award-winning culture strategist, speaker, best-selling author and talent retention expert. I'm going to bring him into the show now, and he's going to tell us more about himself. Dr. Troy, welcome to the to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. And wow, I'm so certainly glad that you're worth all the money I paid you to read those great things about me. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, the, the bio speaks for itself. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm very honored to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored that you would uh, consider me part of your esteemed lineup. So thank you so much. Pleasure. So why don't we start off by having a full description of, of who you are and what you've done and how you got here? Well, you know, on social media, I'm an open book. So anybody can find me at Dr. Troy Hall. So that gives you all the, the stuff about me. And I what, what I really like doing is I like motivating, influencing, and enabling others to be successful. So I built my entire career around that. And so I do, uh, you know, consulting work and executive coaching work. But I thought it might be fun, if this is okay with you, to start with some things that people couldn't find in a resume. Absolutely. Okay, good. So the first thing I would like to say is that I've been married for 44 years to the same person. We have two children and six grandchildren, and they range in age from two months to 20 years. So if oh, you wow. do get a chance to ever watch this um, as a video of this, don't let the hair color fool you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, so some other fun things that have happened to me is I had an opportunity to kiss the Blarney Stone while in Cork, Ireland, and I went to Cork Castle. And on our way up to kissing the stone, of course, the, the castle's in ruins, and so they reinforced the stairs and some of the area. And um, so it was really interesting that um, as we're there, and then there's a, a, a device that's there so you can lean backwards and kiss the stone. You have to kiss the stone upside down. So kind of an interesting tradition for that. And so prior to the pandemic, of course, you know, there's what, three, four million people's lips who've been on the stone. Nobody cares. They just kiss the stone and move on with life. You know, today it's very different uh, to doing that. But on our way up, I said to my wife, I said, honey, I said, do you think that if I kiss the Blarney Stone, it will cancel out all of the schmooze and all of the, you know, rhetoric that I already have? And so she says, well, honey, I'm not really sure, but let's just give it a try. And so later on in the tour, um, as I'm interacting with the uh, with the host and the get, you know, the tour guide and the, uh, some of the other people, she leaned over at me. She says, remember when you thought that you kissing the Blarney Stone would cancel anything out? I said, yeah. She says, don't worry. It's there and more. So that was uh, a little fun experience we had there. So a couple other little things that about me is that I've uh, I had the opportunity to uh, ride a camel in the Middle East. I've ridden an elephant in Asia and a hot air balloon in Africa. So oh, wow. about me, I've also, I've been in 45 U.S. states, traveled to 65 countries and set foot in six continents. So that's me. Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's quite an experience. Yes. So, so how, how did I, go ahead. No, you go, you go. No, I was going to say, how did I, like, like, I mean, we all grow up, right? Like, and growing up, did you think, like, were you heading in this direction when you were young? Like, when did you know that you wanted to go, like, 
do the things you're doing now or did it did something happen to make that change course or was it a straight straight rise like i, I mean like i'm so glad you asked because it um first of all things don't i'm not sure how well people plan i mean sometimes when people wake up in life and they go i want to be a doctor i want to be a lawyer i want to be you know a police officer i want to be something you know and they a teacher and they can live out their life for that i did not have a specific trajectory of where i thought it would be but the life event is a little bit of the subject of my third book which is called fanny rules a mother's leadership lessons that never grow old and there was an event that occurred when i was 12 years old my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer now at the time you have to think about where we were live we were living in a very poor rural uh, area in west virginia uh, education was limited. Uh, economic resources were limited. The local hospital and any of those places were 30 to 45 minutes away. Um, back 50 years ago, when people were diagnosed with cancer, they were more terminal. So we actually thought mom would die. But mom did, decided that she was not going to be defined by her cancer. And so she chose to, um, uh, while I took care of her at her bedside, she poured all of this wisdom uh, into me, she began this whole process. Now, it's not a spoiler because I do talk about this in the book, but mom did live 43 years beyond that. So this idea is that she was able to, um, to really overcome cancer, but she couldn't outrun Alzheimer's. And eventually she was taken by Alzheimer's uh, at 85. So I did have an opportunity to spend some additional time with her, but you know, mom said, you can be anything you wanna be. She said, Troy, you can be anything you want to be. Just be the best that you can be. She said, so if you want to sweep floors, she said, you be the best floor sweeper you can. And she said, and by the way, young man, you better get into the corners because anybody can sweep the middle of the floor. But the person who's going to be the best at it is going to get into the corners. So that's some of the wisdom that uh, my mom taught me and kind of, I guess, really gave me the opportunity to realize that uh, I'm not you know, bound by my past. I'm not bound by circumstance. Actually, one of the quotes I use is that character is defined by choices, not circumstance. And so being able to choose and to make choices along the way, you may have an idea of where you want to be. But uh, for me, I understood that to be a victor of my future, I could not be held captive by my past. So some of the life lessons that kind of allow me to get here and then, hey, look, here I am, you know, out of the hometown where I was, but I still have great friends in that in that town and still connect with people. I never forgot where I came from. Um, and, you know, ended up with a PhD. I mean, who'd have thunk, right? Who, who'd have thunk that would have happened, but it did. It's true. Well, that's the thing. Like my mom had Alzheimer's as well. So I totally feel what you're saying and totally understand exactly what happened. I mean, like the story with my, my mom is uh, it was one of those things that now she survived it for a long time. Like it took almost the whole 20 years. Right. And I'm not complaining about it. I'm not saying it had in a bad right. thing, Yeah. but near the end, it was for lack of a better description, I would say for the last year, she was pretty much uh, in a vegetable state. Right. Yes. And it got, it got to the point that we were told that she's getting to the end and she's not going to be able to eat properly. So we have a choice to put in a tube, a feeding tube, which is going to be painful for her. Yes. Or to, or she's going to just choke to death. And I'm thinking about, like, we were just like me and my siblings were thinking to ourselves, what kind of a choice is this? Right. Right. Yeah. And it was one of those things that we had a little bit of time when we were told and, but it got to the point that she went into the hospital 
And they said, when she comes out of this, you're going to have to make the choice. And we're sitting there going like, I, I don't know how to choose that. To me, both options are bad. Right. So what ended up happening is uh, D-Day came, as I call it, uh, where we had to make the choice. And she passed away before we even got to that point. So it's wow. almost like she checked herself out. Yeah. No. So, yeah. I mean, um, in a way, as sad as it is, it saved us that agony of making that choice. Exactly. And um, and it is an agonizing choice. My, my parents are really good about doing a couple of things. And I always think that this is the great blessing that they can give their children is number one, they had all of their funeral arrangements handled. They knew exactly what they wanted so that we didn't have to make any crisis decisions. They did not want it to be a burden on us um, afterwards. So they were, they were really planners in, in that regard. And that was very helpful to us. And they did not, they had a, a do not resuscitate. So for them, mom did not want any extraordinary, um, you know, uh, efforts made. And, but similar to your story, before we had to make any of those crisis decisions, uh, mom did pass away. So I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you don't want to be happy about it. You know, it's, it's such an odd dichotomy, right? Of feelings that you're going through. You're like push and pull in those feelings and emotions of, of feeling relief and then feel guilty about the relief, you know, then all of a sudden you're like, no, wait a minute. I shouldn't feel happy or guilt or relieved about this. I should, but you know, it's important just to understand our emotions and, and allow our emotions to continue to be a part of us. The, the challenge is making sure that our emotions don't control us, but they are a part of us. That's true. I mean, at the end of the day, we all have to go through this at some point and it's not so much, like that's something you can't change. So I believe life is more about doing what you can do and being the best at what you can do while you have the opportunity. Yes. Mom had a message to me. And again, in that being the best that you can possibly be, she would say, you don't want to be mediocre. She says, mediocre is in the middle. That's lukewarm. You spit lukewarm out of your mouth. You either want to be hot or you want to be cold. Figure out which one it is and be that. She says, don't be that in the middle part. She says, because mediocre settles to the bottom then complains about the view. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Absolutely. Right? Like uh, like you said, when you're mediocre, the only thing you can do is like you're complaining if you go left, you complain if you go right, there's no wrong. I mean, there's no right, there's all wrong. Yeah. Right? So it's if at least if you pick one direction, you know where you're going, you know who you are. There's no debate about that. No, exactly. So it sounds like your mom was a big mentor for you. She was. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is the, the book is a mentoring self-help guide to leadership. And again, these are very simple stories that are, are really what we call teachable moments. So the stories are wrapped up into teachable moments and there's 31 teachable moments all around nine rules. And so these are the rules are the focus areas of your uh, of thinking about your opportunity for leadership and the things that you might want to consider as a leader and then how these practical, teachable moments, these metaphors in life actually really do create such great value. And sometimes even the simplest of things we tend to ignore because they have to be more complex. They have to, you know, they have to cost more money for them to have great value. But when in fact, some of the, the simplest of things create the, the biggest and greatest value. So it was a great opportunity for me to pay tribute to this woman with a 12th grade education. Now, by the way, I want to make sure everyone who hears this understands I had a great relationship with my dad. My mom and dad lived together for 65 years, and my dad took care of my mom right up until the last day. 
So he was there with her from, from the first breath when they joined together and was there for her for the last breath. So it was great. However, the book is about my mom. So my brother says, he says, don't leave dad out when you write the book. I said, I know, but the book's about mom. So I did add a few references to dad in the book just so people knew that it was a little healthier of a relationship between the two, between the, between all of us. So. So obviously the book, the inspiration for the book was your mom, but what was that point that said you have to write a book? Right, because everyone expresses their lessons different ways, yeah. And obviously, you chose to start to do yours in writing, and we all have our talents, right? Like, I think my one of my talents is speaking, right? I'm a terrible writer. I mean, I'm good on video, I'm good at audio, but if you give me a pen and paper, I write like I speak. So, a great three year old could have, I mean, a three year old, a great three student could have better grammar than me well, when it comes to writing. Okay, so first of all, I would say this. So uh, first of all, from executive coaching um, and listening to what you just said, the one thing I would say, and assuming, and we're just going to assume that you're open to coaching since we're uh, making this right. session a learning event for people, is stop saying that you're not good at it. So stop that right now. So it's you may have a vision of where you think it needs to be, but you're not bad at it because guess what? You're going to continue to keep proving yourself bad at it all the time. You're going to give your excuses not to even do any writing. So the fact that you're good at speaking, you're good at the visuals, you're good at doing these podcasts, you're good at doing these things. That's great. Those are your strengths. Your strengths will build your weaknesses. You just, it's, so there's nothing wrong with you writing the way you converse. It's just that that's the audience that might be more appealed uh, might be have, find that to be more appealing to them than if they were looking for a more business structure. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different. And now if you want to actually aspire to more business or more professional writing, there are things that you can do about that. You're not trapped. This is, you know, you can learn unless you have um, a deficiency. And if you do, then, you know, that's, that, that's a whole new, new thing. But if not, and you have uh, opportunities to do that. And that, again, goes back to what I said before. And, and that is that you cannot be a victor of your future if you're held captive by your past. And the second part of that says the truth is in the I am, not the someday I will be. You speak I am. You speak present tense of who you are and what you're going to accomplish. You set up because the future exists from the present. It doesn't leapfrog from the past. So if you really want that future, if you wanted to improve, you want it to be better, then you just say, I am a good conversational writer. And all of a sudden, allow that to now take shape and to see what future is going to be available to you. You know, much about our opportunity to get to the future isn't about what we know today. It's about what we're willing to learn tomorrow. That's why I tell folks, you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. Makes sense. Actually, that's true. That's true. Like, I mean, I mean, it goes, it's mindset, right? It's yes. you, you go where you look. Yes. And if, if you look forward, you always go for it. If you look back, you're stuck in the back. Exactly. And then you asked about the book and, you know, and, and did I want to do it? So um, from a professional standpoint, here's the thing. So I look at it as a business. So building the Dr. Troy brand so for those folks listening can kind of understand that, that it's important, especially as executives today, as leaders, as individuals, even your own personal, you should be paying attention to your personal brand, like the stuff you post, the things you say, what you do, it just makes up who you are. So you just decide who you want to be. So on a professional level, I knew that 
I wanted to move my career toward an area that would allow me to do more consulting work and to do more executive coaching. And so with the PhD came the uh, perfect opportunity to do that. When I did research around uh, writing a book, uh, I, I talked to a lot of experts, a lot of people who had done this, much like when I do my dissertation for my PhD. When my chair for the dissertation uh, program said to me, he says, Troy, he says, whatever you do your dissertation on is what you'll be known for. So you will become an expert, not the expert, but an expert. Pick your topic and pick your topic well. So I chose group dynamics with an emphasis on cohesion. So when it was time to write the book, that was all in the background. Okay, so I knew I wanted to really work with groups and people and the dynamics. I, I, kind of, I really enjoy that. And so when it was time to write the book, people said to me, choose what you want to be an authority in. What do you want that to be? And I thought, oh, my gosh, that sounds just like my dissertation chair, you know, the same messaging. And I was like, well, I really felt like I wanted to be known for the group dynamics and cohesion. So let's do that. So creating a cohesion culture became the emphasis. And so using my work. So a cohesion culture is a safe workspace where people have a sense of belonging, are valued and share in mutual commitment. And when you think about that, in the past two years, I've been talking about diversity and inclusion before it became a national spotlight. Because when you create an environment where people feel like they belong, don't just fit in, when they are valued because what they do is meaningful and it connects to other people, it's not just about respect, that's a big part of it, but it's about the fact that what I do matters and makes sense. And then mutual commitments is how we interact with each other. And if we accept the mindset that we must first do for someone else and then self, we don't leave self out. We just don't take center stage. And when we can do that, then we start establishing mutual commitments with each other. And when we do, we build upon all three of that strategic framework that then creates a cohesion culture. And that's what I spend time uh, speaking and talking about. And so then Fanny Rules was a perfect complement to the book because the first two chapters of the cohesion culture are on leadership. And so Fanny Rules, self-help, mentoring, leadership guide. And you can use it. And the, the cool thing is there aren't any chapters. There are rules. So there's nine rules. At the end of each rule is a recap of the teachable moments, the stories that are contained within that rule. And then a series of questions that you can use for either self-reflection or you can use with another person to stimulate a dynamic conversation because that's how we learn. We learn when we're when we're dynamically involved in the process. And so uh, so it's actually set up uh, to be able to be used in uh, multiple ways. And it's an extension of the leadership principles that were first uh, introduced in the Cohesion Culture book. Makes sense. So basically, one of my takeaways from what you just said was that when you're doing something, you're better off to be the best at something and specialize in something than to try to be a generalist. Well, I think there's a role for everyone. So as opposed to just applying that, you know, across the entire board, I would say, well, choose what you want to be. If you want to be a generalist, generalist, then be the best generalist you can be. But you better have a mind that allows you to accept a lot of trivia because the likelihood is you'll have a lot of breadth, but you'll have little depth. When you become an expert, then you have depth and breadth, because not only do you have it in the individual topic, but there are so many ancillary topics that go along with it that you need to have some understanding of that will allow you to build depth within it. So it's just a matter of what you want your outcome to be. I, ch I choose to believe that there isn't right or wrong unless you're harming someone. All the other choices, 
they, they become what's best for you. Yeah, that comes down to uh, accountability as well, right? You are where you are because of the choices you make. Exactly. And you're not somewhere because of those choices. Yeah, and you take responsibility for it. That's why I say choices, you know, that's why I say your character is defined by choices, not circumstance. We were poor, and mom said that was a condition of the pocketbook. That's a circumstance being poor. Poor is not an excuse for having bad character or not achieving things in life. It's just where you are in your economic status. And so from there, you need to then decide what do you want to do with yourself? And I, and I really believe that that, you know, attributed to the trajectory, um, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, I, I believe that I was given a certain amount of intellect and I was supposed to use that intellect somehow. I didn't know what it was going to be like. It evolved over a period of time. I didn't one day wake up and said, gee, I want to be a consultant or a coach. But you know what I did know? I have always been a teacher. I've always been someone who has related to other people and helped them out. And I've, I've served, I've, you know, kind of like, I guess, you know, people say servant leader, uh, which might have a little deeper meaning here. But, you know, I, I've always tried to be helpful to other people. So I feel like I've been doing this all my life. I just didn't realize it when I was a young person that that's what I should call it. Uh, but I've always been gravitated. You know, everything I've done is gravitated toward it. So I'm happy for the uh, end result absolutely makes sense right like and that's the thing like i've grown up well i've grown up through different stages and we all go through different stages but one of the things that i believe in my life at least that i believe that focusing on your strengths and becoming best at your strengths is better than trying to go back and try to fix your weaknesses i think just naturally when you get good at something and you get really good at something everything else will naturally get elevated with it so in the in the book, there's a, a story that goes around. One of the chapters is about uh, sink, swim or tread water. And it has to do with your um, ability to focus on your strengths. And so the idea is this. So you technically expend about the same amount of energy treading water that you do swimming. The difference is where your head is positioned. So if your head is down into the water, moving towards something, then you are improving and moving that strength. When you're treading water, it's basically like you're trying to fix the weakness. The weakness doesn't make you stronger. The weakness only makes the weakness stronger. If you yourself want to be stronger, you focus on the strengths. And we know that because there are so many leaders who speak about that stuff and, and bring all that information you know, forward. Um, you know, Marcus Buckingham talks about it. Uh, Simon Sinek talks about it. Uh, Benet Brown. Uh, speaks life to this. So there are all of these thought leaders that have very similar philosophies when it comes to it. Uh, Tom Rath's book, uh, The Strength Finders, you know, that's a, our strengths finder that in that book, you know, it's all about you building your strengths. So what you said before was poignant. So I hope the folks who are listening to this really get that, that to focus, to improve your weaknesses, you focus on your strengths. For every strength, there is a weakness. For every weakness, there is a strength. So if you say, in your case, I am not a good writer. Remember, I want to let you, um, we're going to say that you're going to, you have to change that to saying, I am a good conversational writer. And then you build that conversational writing to the point where maybe you'll be writing a, a screenplay before you know it. And if you're writing the screenplay, just imagine what that would be like. And then all of a sudden you're now worried about whether you weren't, uh, you know, a good business writer and you're writing a screenplay because screenplays are about conversation. They're not about writing textbooks or academic research. Absolutely. That makes sense, actually. Makes total sense. So obviously you write books. So I'm, I'm guessing that you read a lot of them as well. 
I do. I, I do and I don't. So, you know, it's combination today of reading and, uh, you know, listening to uh, podcasts. And I guess it's not just reading books, it's reading articles. And then today with the internet and with, um, you know, social media and all these different platforms, you can get information brought to you based on things that you're interested in and you're able to expand on that. And, and I also enjoy a lot more of interacting with thought leaders. So putting people together in similar uh, situations. I just had a conversation this morning with an individual who was another executive coach and he was interested and he said, why exactly did you accept this invitation to interact with me? He said, I see your background. He said, why would you, you know, want to talk to me? And I said, well, I appreciate you saying it in that way, but why wouldn't I want to be associated with other thought leaders? Why wouldn't I want to learn from that? You know, why wouldn't I want to be teachable and, and hear what you have to say? What's your perspective on things? Because you really take your perception and guide it to a perspective based on the orientation of where you're going. So it isn't just about reading books. So before you ask me what my, my reading list looks like, which wouldn't be nearly <laughs> as much fun maybe as, as others may think, I, I do spend a lot of time, though, in the social media realm getting insight and information, and I don't have to consume the whole book. And I still get a good idea of what's happening in the area of, of leadership and development. Absolutely. Like, I mean, there's different forms of learning. There's different forms, you know, to get information. Like you said, there's many different platforms. I mean, I'm a reader myself and I do that more for my leisurely side. Yes. Um, I'm always about like myself. I like to learn stuff about productivity. Like I like the names you mentioned, Simon Sinek, um, Brene Brown. I've read all those bo their books as well, right? I'm always about productivity, learning, and growing, right? I'm not really a, a fiction reader, and that's because I choose not to be, and there's nothing wrong with it for those that do. That's right. And, um, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I used to read, uh, like my, I used to read two magazines a month, every month, and they were like my favorite. One was Success Magazine, and the other one was Inc. Um, I just, that was just something I liked. Again, I consume podcasts. Part of my morning routine is to uh, grab my morning coffee, my bagel, and then I'll eat the bagel and I'll listen to the podcast while I'm doing all that. By the yeah. time I'm done eating, done that, the podcast is usually done as well. And that's just another form of you know learning and, and growing. And, right. and, and that's also very important, right? It is. And one, um, things, and one of the things that you're doing with that, and so for the listeners to listen to this, when you, uh, learning is an involvement of all the senses. You get your greatest experiences and your greatest learning through what we call social learning. And social learning involves all the senses. So what you did, what you just explained right now to the, to the listeners is a way to, to create a more impactful way for them to learn. So involving all your senses. So first of all, you had your auditory senses that were going on, you were listening. Your visual senses were in place with whatever you were looking at, whatever you were doing. As you were eating, you involved taste. You were smelling the bagel and the coffee or the beverage, whatever you were having with it. And all of the touching that you were doing with your items, whether it was the cup, the beverage you were drinking, whether it was the bagel you were eating, slapping the butter, jelly, whatever you're putting on it, cream cheese, that tactile experience all contributes to learning. And so for those of us who may learn on a variety of different levels, understand that yes, when all the senses are involved in the learning process, it increases and enhances our ability to retain what we're actually listening to or visually watching or experiencing. Absolutely. And now even going back to what you were saying about, you know, 
interacting with thought leaders, right? It brought yes. up a thought in my head, which is that, um, like, I find, like, uh, there's a reason we have the word circle of influence. And, and, and I find myself, you become who you hang around yes. a lot. And, and it's important to basically surround yourself with the people that are like you or that are going to where you want to go because you kind of helps you keep that positive mindset and that forward thinking. Because yes. if you're always, if you're hanging around with somebody who's the problem with this, the problem with that, if, you know, our, our brains are pre-wired from growing, you know, from when we're born to growing up to survive and survive is beware, watch out, mm -hmm. right? Cause that's survival. Yes, absolutely. But survival is, yeah. Survival is living. It's not getting ahead, but we got to go beyond that. And if you're living with survival, that's all you learn to do. But if you, your circle becomes people who are like you or better, who want to grow, they'll help pull you up as you're trying to pull up yourself and you help them as well. Exactly. So no focus on anything negative anymore now. No, exactly. But you it's just a conscious effort. You have to choose to. Yeah, you just talked yourself out of it. So listen, if I hear you say that again, I'm coming after you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, oh, man, have you ever had that moment where you had something, you're like, oh, I got an idea, and then you have to say, and you're like, uh, I just had one of those moments. <laughs> um, I have them all the time. It's called a senior moment at my age. <laughs> I'm getting there. No, I'm not that I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> we all are. Um yeah, like um every entrepreneurial journey I find has ups and downs. We have wins and and we have learning moments. Yes. So what what I wanted to ask you, what was your biggest win or your most memorable win? Not necessarily biggest win. And and, and then followed by what was your, you know, biggest or most memorable learning spot in your career? Um, okay. So I think, since let's think about this. So I have to, I have a, a long life here. So I have to, uh, you know, think about that for a little bit. Um, I, I know this may sound a, a little cheesy sort of when I say this, but, you know, really one of my greatest wins, and I know it makes it sound terrible to talk about a win, but it was really the relationship I had with my wife. My wife, Vicki, she has been phenomenal in my life with the things that she's done. Um, you know, she was with me through all of the degree programs. Uh, she never complained when um, I had to, you know, when I couldn't do chores and I couldn't do things because I had to work on studying because I ended up getting these degrees while I was working and we had a family. So uh, she was always there for that. Uh, she took care of my mom and dad. Uh, for the five years that they lived with us uh, until they passed away. Uh, so she was right there for all of that. Raised two children, now involved in raising six grandchildren. I mean, to really, to really have a powerful partner uh, in your life, to me, is probably one of the greatest wins that I could say I could have ever achieved. Uh, somebody I get to share this opportunity with and uh, have an opportunity to just acknowledge her and the greatness that she brings to our family. Uh, and then for me, I would say that the the weakest moment or the or the the lowest moment in my life was um, uh, really being involved in not telling the truth and understanding the impact of not telling the truth. And that came not only as a child, but also in a, in my early adult life. Um, and so I have quickly uh, re reformulated. Um, you know, my concept is you know really you, you might say I want to speak the truth 
but it is very challenging sometimes to speak the truth because sometimes that survival mode kicks in and you want to tell the story that makes you look a little better. But I've always found when things really, you know, when you break them all down, the truth always comes out anyway. I would rather be on the upper end, on the front end of the truth than to be on the back end of the truth. I want to be on the part that apologizes because I'm remorseful. I don't want to apologize because I've been caught. So it really makes a difference for me. So, you know, being able to do that. So one of the ways that I kind of work that, and so some of your listeners are going to love this part. I have what's called a Christmas lie. And so a Christmas lie is uh, for us and the way we celebrate the tradition of Christmas and wrapping of gifts. And sometimes the, uh, the kids uh, try to guess what's in the gift or you have an odd shaped item that you wrap and it looks like the odd shaped item and they try to guess it and you try to convince them that that's not what it is. So I call that my Christmas lie. It's a safe, it's a safe thing. I'm, we're not hurting them. It's not designed for them to take a life lesson to say you should, should, should uh, adopt lying to get your way because all we're doing is having fun about celebrating the tradition of exchanging gifts and keeping the surprise of the gift until you actually open it. So I refer to that as my Christmas lie and say, okay, that gives me, that's, there's my permission for lying. And aside from that, dude, I got to, I got to handle the truth. And I will tell you that it's not always that I do the truth first time out, but I will fix it and correct it. As soon as I have gotten myself to understand that it was not right, I fix it right then because, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. It's going to happen. I don't want it to happen, but it, it sometimes does, and I need to come out and be more truthful, um, you know, in, in what it is. You think sometimes you're helping people by hiding the truth. I think the difference is, is you just don't have to run people over with the truth. So there's a way for you to be truthful and to gain uh, an acceptance and to gain permission to share the rawest truth that you possibly need to share. And, um, and, you know, and be able to work through that. And, you know, I'm not talking about a simple thing that when my wife says, should I wear outfit A or outfit B, which one looks better? You know, I'm not talking about those kinds of communications, which sometimes have some alteration of, yeah, okay, I got this feeling. She really likes A. I'm going to love A. You know, maybe I really loved B, but okay, we're not going there. But I'm talking about the complex things that happen in business. Like when a leader says and a leader does then those things better be based on truth. It's one of the seven attributes of an effective leader is truth seeking. And not only does it mean seeking the truth, but it means using the truth for the positive and for the betterment and the advancement of individuals through their growth or development and uh, their opportunities for their future. Absolutely. So, you know, in a way, it's like you're saying you can also lead by example, right? Yes. And, and that's the thing. And that, like, I believe leadership doesn't mean dictatorship it's that's why i said lead by example right if i believe in nobody does anything in this world alone that's where i'm going with this everyone does it with some form of help from someone and, and if everyone works together a true leader can get everybody united so they build a you know a, a machine like whether it's a working machine or whatever right like and build each other up and grow together. And, you know, I mean, where I, I think often organizations fail when, when a leader comes in trying to be that leader through dictatorship, right? Where it's like, do this, do that, do, you know, again, everything comes in, like you said, I'll use your word, cohesion. Yes, it, it is. And so when you talk about an individual who leads by um, forcing people or using coercion to have someone do something, that's called institutional power. 
And so as a leader in an organization, if you are at a C-suite or you've got people who report to you, you already have an, an implied institutional power. People will listen to you because you're, you have that authority, right? But your greatest impact on people is when you have what's called influential power. And that's when you convince people to do things because it's the right thing to do, not because you said so. So if a leader can embody the uh, elements of cohesion, which is belonging, value, and mutual commitment, and understand that as a framework within their own personality. They're not changing who they are. They're just focusing on those things. So however I go about getting people to feel like they're a part of me and a part of something special, then that might be unique to what you do. But it's still the same framework. And the same thing for value and mutual commitment. And then you layer on top of that some really good leadership things. Like here are attributes of leadership that you should pay attention to. Are you teachable? Do you extend compassion and grace? You know, grace is the unmerited favor that you give someone simply because you say so, not because they did anything to get it. And then do you seek the truth? Are you humble? Do you have pure intentions with the things that you're going to do each and every day? And lastly, do you work to make peace? And you take that and embody that with that strategic framework and then add one more layer on top of that. If you thought you had layered enough, this is one of the coldest days. And so you're going to put lots of layers on. And this other layer is the four principles of a transformative leader. And to, first of all, to truly have transformation as a leader, you must focus on someone else first, then self. So that's the concept that you have to agree to. Then you go through and you figure out how do you aspire people to a vision and then teach them the vision? Are you a good social architect? Do you get along well with people and how that interaction happens? And then do you speak with candor? Do you create a trusted environment where people know that you're going to manage your emotional intelligence? You are going to not allow your emotions to control you. And then lastly, are you an individual who practices self-reflection, self-regard, self-awareness? And that's important for the leader. And if you can figure out all of those items and use them together, they're going to blend dynamically and create that leader that you talked about that actually leads from a position of influence, not from a position of true power. Absolutely. It makes total sense. Now, which brings up another point that I was thinking about. Everybody in their journey gets resistance. And, and you know what I mean? Because like you say, I, just say you have a group of, uh, we'll say 20. There's no way that you're going to get all 20 people on yes. board with yes. any idea like that some people can be coachable like you said and you can get them there but there's always naysayers and resistance how do you handle resistance well um okay so first of all in your group of 20 let's just use that example you've got 20 people you have resistance so let's understand that leader leading in a group is okay but you must take care of the individuals as well so one of the messages that I teach or coach in my executive coaching is that, that you cannot serve the many until you serve the one. So a couple of different levels of meanings. First of all, it means you as a leader have to be ready. So that's the one before you can serve other people. The other is if you want to serve a group of individuals who report to you, you have to know the individualness of the one. So you're actually working one-on-one. -on -one. So you've got 20 people and you go, wow, I've got all these conversations I have to have. Yes, you do. Leadership is rigorous. It requires effort. It's not just going to be easy. This is not a magic wand. 
So you don't get to have blue fairy dust that you get to sprinkle on people and then all of a sudden they miraculously turn around. So you have to work individually with people and you isolate and understand what their individual resistance is. Here's what I will tell you, that when people resist, they resist or object for one of three reasons. Either they misunderstand, need clarification, or they're skeptical. If they misunderstand or need clarification, that's easy. It's just talking to them. It's providing them some additional information that makes them go, oh, okay, I get your point now. I really understand where you're coming from. I, I didn't get that before, but I, now I get it. When people are skeptical, there's only one way to solve it. You only solve skepticism with proof. And if you think about a relationship, you think about the way it goes. Man, woman, doesn't matter. However you have your relationship. When one of them crosses the line with the other one, and they do it in enough times, that individual is going to say to them, look, I don't want to hear you say you're sorry again. I want to hear and see you do it. So it isn't about you saying anymore. It's about you doing it. It's the physical, oh, I have to show you. So sometimes in those objections, you have to determine what's the root cause of the object, objection and then focus on it. Figure out what proof can you provide that will allow that person to make a choice. Then you also have to understand that there's a difference between people who want to be and people who just simply don't know information. And there are individuals in the face of all of the right information are just going to be downright stubborn. And when they are, do the best to minimize their impact and move on. Because if you are leading a group and you spend all of your time trying to convince the one person or two people who don't get it, the other 18 and 19 people are suffering. So where is your leadership to them? So again, it would be make sure that you are you know, uh, looking for root cause. Uh, most of that root cause has to require some proof. Identify what that proof is. Um, you, you might even see if there's an agreement with the person. Once you say to them, look, I understand that, that you are, are not uh, willing to uh, agree with this right now because of this issue. And if I give you evidence and advice on this issue, if we find information, we can look at it. Um, would that change your mind? And the person, you get an idea right then. The person's going to be on the spot and say, well, yeah. Now, remember that coaching that you're doing with that individual group, it's always one on one because you also have to remember the framework. Again, there's a lot of these things that are common sense, but think about it. You praise in public and you criticize in private. So if you have anything that's going to be negative, you want it to be a one on one conversation. You don't want it to be something you're doing. You're not you don't allow the person out in front of the whole group. But what is really spectacular that can happen is when this individual sort of moves from where I didn't get it to all of a sudden I now have it, they are more than likely going to provide your greatest testimony and they will be your strongest supporter because they got what they needed. They believe it because you see our belief system, which is based on values, creates the very strongest sense of attitude and behavior that we can have. So, we're just really trying to get to it. And sometimes in the uh, ability, I guess I'll just say this, uh, to say another level of people's uh, disagreements can be values. They disconnect on the value system. So you need to figure out what that value system is and see if you can align the values. That's why it's so important to hire people who actually align with the corporate values of the organization. Because if not, then they are wanting to always change the organization to be their organization. 
And unfortunately, you can't just walk up to people and say, look, if you want it your way, just make your own company. So you have to find easier and better ways to, to move them along. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with everything you said there. Um, I also believe that uh, if you can't get somebody on board, it's best to cut it quickly rather than drag it on. Sure. And yeah, because it's one of those things that it's like you said, if you can't get somebody on the on board, you can't like they're just skepticism. We we'll use that. Right. And it, even if you show the proof, you just can't get them. I believe keeping them in the group will just slowly poison the rest of the group and sometimes quickly poison them. It can, but just remember that the T is in training, not terminating. You know, what I do is about retaining top talent. And so it's really finding a way, don't giving up on people too quickly. You know, oftentimes I will tell you, if things don't go the way people want, they cut them down. They actually get rid of the whole thing. They dig it up. When sometimes pruning is all that's needed. And you can sometimes prune a plant and get a much better result. I'll give you an example of that. When I was in the Philippines and working with a group, we used a cacao tree as an example. And the cacao tree is the one that produces the richest chocolate that we actually want to consume. And the cacao tree, when it starts out as a seedling, they let it grow to it's somewhere about maybe 12 to 15 inches high. And they have these beautiful green little sprouts that come out of the top. They cut them off. <gasps> You're going like, oh my gosh, you cut them off. What did you do? Well, then what they do is they then slice the top and they put a piece of a mature tree with the cacao tree, wrap it in plastic to make sure nothing gets inside of it, and then allows the tree to continue to grow. By doing that, when you have added a mature piece of a cacao tree to the seedling, it reduces the amount of time for the tree to grow, develop, and mature. It actually goes from five years to two and a half years. So that's why I don't give up on people. That's why I speak to mentoring. I mean, I agree with you. You get to a point where you've exhausted some things. You're right. You have to just make choices. I like to let the other person make the choice that they don't want to belong here anymore and that they can move on. It gives them a chance to hold their head high. It gives them a chance to, to decide that they need to be somewhere else and not as a position of ultimatum, but really as an opportunity for choice. Because when people have choice, then it empowers them. So the thing is, is that, look, it's no harm and no foul. Look, you're just not, you know, it's just not working here. So let's go find someplace else where it can work. And imagine if we as leaders did things like that. I mean, that's part of what you said in the opening of the show. If, if we find those kinds of ways to be, then all of a sudden we are advancing humanity in a way in which we never had advanced it before. Listen, the easy answer is to say, look, you're not, John, you're not meeting what we need to do around here. Go find a job somewhere else. That's a fast, easy conversation to have, but it doesn't produce good fruit, nor does it produce good results. I need, no, to, first, I need to first make sure that I'm working with you. Then if we need to part ways, let's make it more of a mutual way uh, to be able to do it. I think it's much more empowering than, uh, but, I will also say this, sometimes you do have to be the one to cut. And if so, then make sure that you can put your head on your pillow at night, knowing that you have done everything possible to be that effective and uh, uh, successful leader. Absolutely. And that's when I said it. I meant that as a last, a last resort, not the first resort. I yeah. meant you've been through everything and it's like, no matter what, they just want to go against you at all times. Yeah. Right? You can say blue, they're going to say red. You go back right. to red where they are and they're now blue. <laughs> right just, at that point in time 
Now, I wanted to add that context to the listeners because sometimes when people listen to podcasts and if you don't give them enough context, sometimes they're just going, oh, well, listen, I listen to podcasts. The guy says, look, if they're not going to you know, cooperate, we get rid of them. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it is, but you got to have more to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. Like that, that's, that's a great way to get to it, right? Like it's, things tend to work out better when it becomes their choice. Right yes. then, there's there's never any negative that way. If someone chooses to leave, they're not going to badmouth either. It was right. their choice. They're going to accept it, and it comes to acceptance. When everyone accepts, this is the way it is, and, and and things are better off that way. Everything is smoother. Well, it goes back to one of the attributes of an effective leader. It's called peacemaking. So in this in this contentious situation, can you provide peace? You know, the opportunity for leadership is not to polarize people to the left and to the right but to bring them to a space of unity, which actually exists in the middle. You can have peace on the left and you can have peace on the right, but where you have hum the peace for all humanity is in the middle. It's where everybody can be. And it's a place where either party did not previously occupy. So if you want to find compromise, if you want to look for that common promise, then figure out where you are, where the other person is and say, where can we bring us to that actually produces a more, uh, efficient and effective result. When you do, then you're going to be practicing peacemaking. And uh, so that kind of gives a little bit of context to that attribute. Makes total sense. So one thing I want to ask, and I, I just, I'm thinking about it because we're still experiencing this so-called, or this, not so-called, I shouldn't say that. We're experiencing the pandemic still. I mean, and yeah. obviously with everything that's going on, we're experiencing, we're open, we're closed, we're open, we're closed, everything. I mean, at least in Canada, we've been going through lockdown, then we're open, then we're back to lockdown, then we're open. And I mean, everybody's being affected by this, whether, you know, like whether you got a government job, whether you got, you know, I mean, no matter what, everyone's been affected to some degree. Some have benefited, some have not. Uh, and that, that's the thing. How did all this affect your business or did it? Um, well, any time that you disrupt the pattern of, you know, what you're doing, there, there's always a disruption to it. Um, for me, for my business specifically, um, it was, um, you know, really doing more virtual activities, uh, you know, really accepting the technology. I mean, prior to the pandemic, I mean, most people hadn't even heard of Zoom. If they heard of Zoom, they thought of it as a sound that you make for a car engine. Zoom, Zoom, you know, move on. Right. But today, yep. this meeting conversation now has like what we're doing with our podcast using technology that's expanded with that. I'm adding the visual element like we're recording today where there's a visual element as well as the, the sound portion so that, you know, you, you kind of have a, a little more robust opportunity for that. So for me, it was uh, about that. And I think for the most part in organizations, uh, their number one priority was really making sure their number one priority should have been making sure they were operating in a safe environment for their employees and their consumers or uh, their clients or whatever the term they want to use for the individuals they work with. Uh, really and truly, they should always have considered safety and security as the first as one of the first items and then on to the rest of the business. I mean, um, one of the things you talked about was. Uh, you made a little reference to that earlier. And Maslow's theory of hierarchy still actually is effective today. When people are worried about their safety and security, they cannot self-actualize. 
So an individual will never get to a place of fulfillment or realizing their full potential if they're constantly being hovered down into worrying about safety and security and protection. So if you can solve that or at least minimize it, then you have an opportunity for people to be able to self-actualize. They'll start thinking and doing things differently. And what we have found in the pandemic is that prior to it, 6% of the U.S. population actually worked remotely. During the height of the pandemic and through most of this still today, about 62% of the workforce was in a, um, you know, a non-traditional work environment. So it could be remote either in a, a, maybe it's a smaller location with just a few people, or it could be remote meaning working at home, um, could be remote working out of your car. I mean, there could be a lot of opportunities of what remote meant. Um, and then the idea is to stabilize. So sometime in 21 and 22, we will stabilize. There's not going to be a normal because it's going to be the stabilization of what we do. I, that, that new normal and talk about normal, I don't know, that's crazy for me. So in stabilizing, what we'll find is up to 25% of the workforce will continue to be remote. Uh, organizations are already reclassifying jobs as remote workers. Um, they are looking at the work to determine, does it need to be done on premises? Can it be done elsewhere? Now, there's good and bad in all of that because we still are people who need to be connected. So part of what I do is I teach organizations how to optimize their workforce, whether it's in-person, remote, or hybrid. And what are the elements? And so we look at the, the basics of the cohesion culture and we say, how do we extend that so that we can take care of when individuals are working remotely when they're in person or when it's a hybrid version. And it requires leadership to do things differently than the way they ever did before. It requires them to check in with people. And it used to be easier check-in, right? You get everybody in the office at the same time, you get them huddled around a, a cubicle or a water cooler or a coffee pot, um, you can do some check-ins. Now the leader has to work at it to do some check-in. But guess what? It's the work the leader still needs to do. They may not like it, but it doesn't matter. They need to do it. They need to do these morning huddles. They need to do afternoon debriefs. They need to find out how people are and not just have every meeting about a job, a task, something that, um, you know, is, is non-personal. You have to interact some of that. So I, I do work sessions. So it's really given me an opportunity to actually train more, I actually see, I think, and reach more people than I've been doing through this medium than what I was doing before. So I would say that's how it affected me. And I don't want to say it, even though it's a positive result, I would still not want to have the pandemic to have this positive result. So even though I can see something positive happening out of something bad, uh, I still wouldn't want the bad thing to happen. No, of course not. And that's the thing, right? That's, that's, that's what, what makes technology amazing, right? Like yes. even though this came out of a bad situation, the reality is there is positive. And the positive is now we have technology that wasn't utilized, fully utilized. It gives people the opportunity to expand way beyond and scale at higher levels than they ever were. So as that's a, kind of a positive. Exactly. One of the things that I actually did as a result of this was uh, I worked with a colleague and we created a Cohesion Culture Camp, which is an online learning platform for leaders who can self-direct themselves through this program. It's five modules over five weeks. And uh, this program has over two hours of closed caption instructional videos 
workbook exercises, hands-on activities, and weekly challenges that they can apply this uh, information immediately. So um, we found already we've got individuals who want to do it for their own personal growth. And I have a number of my clients who are putting the program in place in their organization and they're having their employees go through it. It's an extension of their training staff. And it was a way that I was able to become scalable, right? I don't have to, to be available. I can't be available to teach, you know, 40 classes around the United States and the, and the globe. But through this program, I can teach classes now anywhere. Yeah, uh, exactly. That, that that makes total sense. I mean, uh, again, I still like personally, I still like in-person interaction as well, but I believe our future is our new normal is not going to be the normal. And, and I believe we can have a, a way of combining it. What I mean is that not everything is going to be virtual. Not everything is going to be in person. And I think there's ways to balance that out so you can get the right mix of people to people, still keep safety around and still yeah. be able to scale. I agree with you. Spot on. So the other thing I want to say is that, um, oh man, I lost my train of thought. I got excited. <laughs> um, oh, I was, I was going to, I was going back to history of, okay. you know, your development and stuff. What I was going to go as like a final question is that it's easy to see things in hindsight, right? And, and, and it's one of those things that knowing what you know now, if you had to do it over again, would there be any changes in how you did it knowing what you know? Or would you continue along the same path? Well, I, I would say that um, I would continue along the same path. And the reason is that, um, that a change that I might go back and make could have altered some other wonderful thing that I've already experienced that I have. Like I wouldn't want to do something that would, inter that would interfere with my family that would interfere with the great relationships I have with people. I mean, I've had opportunities to have people around the world. Uh, you know, I, I think that if anything, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful for, you know, my opportunities I have now for those people who still have an opportunity to make a difference because see from today on, everyone can make a difference. I would just say be more cognizant of the choices that, that you make. So just for me, making sure that the choices I make are purposeful and meaningful in what I want to achieve and what I want to be known uh, for, you know, in life. And not so much that it has to be, uh, you know, on a high level of society or a high level of, of uh, you know, popularity or things of that nature, but just make really good choices. So um, I would say, no, I don't want to go back and change anything, but I want to make sure that going forward, um, I continue to make really good choices and live by the things that I teach. Uh, I think the worst thing that can happen is that I'm telling people all these great things and then all of a sudden I don't follow my own advice. Uh, I, you know, that's kind of crazy for me. So it kind of holds me to a, you know, a standard, you know, I have to, I have to do those things. I have to think about, am I being considerate and compassionate to people? Will I extend grace to someone? Um, you know, will I, am I teachable? You know, I have amassed a lot of information in this world, but I remember my mom told me, and there's a section in this book, a Fanny Rules book, and it actually is about the difference between being a learn-it-all and a know-it-all and how that comes across in life. And mom often said, it would be better for you to be a Mr. Learn-it-all than a Mr. Know-it-all, but also make sure that whatever you learn, you put into action. Because if you don't take what you learn and put into action, you never create wisdom.
you don't have access to wisdom. Wisdom isn't the individual piece of knowledge. It's how the knowledge was used. So when you listen to someone and they tell you, oh, wow, they are speaking such wisdom, they're wise. It's because they're telling you how they applied the knowledge and information they received. They're not just talking about the knowledge and information. They're making it practical and applicable. So if you can do that, I think you can, you can, you can get on to that great future that's, uh, that's there and ready for you. Even if you don't know what it is or how to get there. Just well, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's about the adventure as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I want to be conscious of your time. So before we go, can you uh, mention once again, how do people find you and maybe where can they get your, uh, a copy of your books? Great. Thank you for asking that. So you can connect with me at Dr. Troy Hall. So you can see, find me on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, that's Dr. Troy Hall. You should be able to find me. Great. Um, you can also see, uh, seek out me through my website, which is drtroyhall.com. So again, made it nice and easy for you to do that. Uh, the books are available on Amazon. Uh, so I have uh, been involved in three books, publishing three books, uh, Cohesion Culture, Mission Matters, and now Fanny Rules. Nice. Nice. Amazon. That's, I, I had a feeling it was Amazon. Amazon carries everything today. <laughs> you can also go to, awesome. your local, you can go to your local bookstore and request it. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll order it in and, and have it uh, to you as well. So, so if you prefer to do a more traditional bookstore, yeah, you're welcome to do that. But most everyone goes to the Amazon uh, program and the Fanny rules book will be on audible um, as well. So that uh, is another opportunity for people. And I think you mentioned earlier that you like the audible books. Uh, so. Um, Sometimes, yes. It all depends. If I'm driving, because it's like, I'm not one of those guys that likes, I, I listen to music sometimes. I'm not going to say I don't. I'm not going to lie, right? But most times I, I find myself listening to music on an hour-long drive just to be kind of wasteful. You're just spending an hour listening to the same thing over and over, and it's not productive. So I try to, you know, we all have the same amount of hours. So how I try to keep productive is by doing things and overlapping them, such as if I'm driving to the office, which is 40 minutes away, I'll either play a podcast or play a book. At least I'm listening to something while I'm doing it yeah. and versus listening to music, right? So, and there's nothing wrong, again, nothing wrong with the person's choice. This is my choice. This is sort of how I get what I want to get in. Exactly. When, since I can't expend my time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Awesome. Thank you very, very much for, uh, you know, coming on the podcast today. This was very uh, exciting and enjoyable and very valuable. Lots of information. I'm actually going to listen to it myself again so I can absorb things that I may have not caught on to. Because I mean, you get so much information. There's always going to be something that you that didn't register. You thought, oh, I didn't remember that or I didn't. You know what I mean? Because I mean, it's an hour long and it was like a lot of info. Oh, I listen to sometimes things more than one time and you'll find that uh, as your brain begins to absorb information and you begin to assimilate and process it, you listen to something again and you go, I didn't hear that the first time. It's because there was so much information to consume that your brain wasn't able to really process all of it in this, in the conscience. So you're just moving it from the subconscious to the conscious. And so you have an opportunity to do that. And I, I just would say to you and also to your listeners that if you have listened to something and you're like, I don't really get that. Like that was, you know, because there's depth to many of the things that we were talking about today and we only hit on the surface of them. But if you really want to dig deeper, reach out to me. Uh, I'll be very happy to connect with you. And again, 
you can connect with me. Uh, there's a link for you on the website to connect with me and you've got my number. Uh, so John, you can reach out to me uh, in that way. Uh, text me, email me. And if you uh, want to ask some more questions, I'll be happy to connect with you. Fantastic. Thanks again. I'm truly grateful for this. Yeah, me too.